May the Lord open the eyes of our heart to contemplate God in spirit through Jesus Christ the Lord, to whom belong power and glory through all eternity. Amen. Somewhere in America, somewhere in America, this story was once told. I walked across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump. I ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he asked. Well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Are you religious? He said, yes, a Christian. I said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or, or Baptist? Baptist? Wow. Me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or are you reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915. I said, die heretic scum, and I pushed him off. Okay, with apologies to the Reformed Baptist Church of God, 1879 and 1915. What just happened? So much for the word being very near you, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's up with this? Why is it that as much as we try to unite with each other about things, there's something in all of us that keeps dividing ourselves. We divide ourselves from one another, from parts of ourselves, even dividing ourselves from God. When the creation story happens, it takes place in a garden, male and female created together by God. That's what one version of the story says, created together in community. At the end, at the very end of the Bible, all of humanity is depicted in a great city of God, gathered in a community together. Not divided, but gathered. Life in the kingdom of God gathers people together in community. But yet, much of life is a bit separated. In a place I call the messy middle, we sometimes struggle to get by. We mend relationships with some, and then others fall apart. It feels like we end up existing at times separated, isolated, out in the wilderness. For some in the church, the season of Lent is this wilderness experience. Mirroring Jesus being led by the Spirit from the River Jordan out into the wilderness alone, hungry for something else, missing any sense of community or human connection. And instead of comfort, 
finding pure temptation itself, being tempted for food, for power, for glory. This wilderness experience has taken him from his baptism in the river, oh, so full of life, and has taken him on an unusual pilgrimage into the depths of his being, away from society, away from community, away from even the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter. This pilgrimage he's embarked on is a deepening quest for purpose, for strength, for identity. Let's think about this in your own terms. When have you been pushed out or led away from all that's been familiar to you? What was it like for you when you graduated from school or when you retired? How about when you received a difficult medical diagnosis? Or maybe when you finished paying off your student loan? Or when you broke up with your partner? Or when you were seized with fear and trembling because you could name a new identity about yourself? What kind of wilderness was that like? Was it something welcomed? Or did it force you to go on some type of journey, a quest, a pilgrimage to reclaim your life once again? Lent calls us to this every year. And sometimes it's not so fun. Lent finds us sometimes before we want to find it. Yes, it's on the calendar. It happens every year. Then why do many of us want to stay at the River Jordan instead of being led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness? What are we going to find? Loneliness? Isolation? Danger? Well, we might. But we also know that those three things are not from God. And I want to say that again. Loneliness, isolation, and danger are not from God. Those things happen when we forget that the word of God is near you, on your lips, and in your heart. The word of God lives very near you, always. Sometimes when something leads us to the wilderness on our own personal pilgrimage, whether intentional or unintentional, we're leaving a piece of our lives behind. And sometimes we go on journeys because they push ourselves. They push us beyond where we're normally comfortable going, beyond our comfort thresholds. But we're not alone. And so we go onwards with life as a pilgrimage. Countless have gone before us. The sacred act of living life as pilgrimage means that we will encounter times of transformation, even in places that where we first feel lonely, isolated, or maybe even in danger. Because as Paul writes, the same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. God is generous. Okay, what do I mean by this? Let me give you a real-life example. There was a man named Horatio Spafford, He was a major player in industry in Chicago around the 1860s and 70s. 
To everyone, he seemed like he had it all. He had money, he had power, he had recognition in society, in his church, and all kinds of glory. He had it all. But then for some reason, his life went from being full of life to a real wilderness experience. He began experiencing all sorts of problems and tragedies. First, he lost a child. It was fairly not that uncommon at that time, but it was very painful. He lost a child. And then the church that he was part of threw him out because he disagreed on some fine point of doctrine. Hence my crazy illustration at the beginning. His whole business and his home were destroyed in the great fire of Chicago. He'd had enough. So he decided that he and his wife and some of the people who were also kicked out of the church and his daughters, that they would, also, they would all go to Jerusalem and start some work there in a refugee camp. He and, he and his family didn't have much left in Chicago anyway. So Horatio sent his wife and daughters ahead of him to Jerusalem. He was going to close up shop and everything back in Chicago and, and just figure out all his affairs, and then make sure he was going to go on later, and he was going to follow. But travel those days at that time was pretty slow. It took a few weeks, and occasionally people got sick, being exposed to all sorts of stuff. And so by the time that his wife got to Jerusalem, she alone was the only one who made it. The daughters had perished along the way. And this was just shattering to him. He's now lost all his children, lost his business, lost his home, lost his church, everything. But he decides to go ahead and meet his wife in Jerusalem. So he goes on this ship by himself, sails from New York. And he asks the captain that when they get about halfway there, for the captain, to, if it's day or night, for the captain to wake him up. So one night... Captain knocks on his door, wakes him up, and he goes out on deck in the middle of the night over the ocean. He looks over a railing of the boat on the side of the water, and he tries to sort all of this stuff out. And as he sits out over the cold, open sea, and he prays, probably cries a lot in the silence, he begins to write this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. He basically says that if everything is lost, if I've lost everything that matters to me, I still have God's love, and yes, I know that the word is very near me on my lips and in my heart. And so, yes, it is well with my soul. I mean, this is intense. But yet he writes this on that night. He's lost everything. And you look at him and you say, why doesn't this guy curse God? Because the man knows that whatever has befallen him, Whatever it is that he's lost, it breaks his heart. I mean, deeply breaks his heart. 
this presence of powerful divine love is still there, that he knows that he has cultivated in some kind of way a relationship with God that is so powerful and so real that he can pick himself up and start all over again. And that's exactly what he does. It's an extraordinary example of faith and confidence in a mystery much greater than himself. So as Horatio gets to Jerusalem, he's reunited with his wife. And there they found the American colony, a community looking out for the needs of the poor and to promote peace for the healing of the world. And it just so happens that the location of the American colony hotel, as it's now known, is right across the street from St. George's Cathedral, where our group of pilgrims will worship next week. And the legacy of the American colony as a community, serving refugees, the poor, and the downtrodden, this legacy is an extraordinary testimony from someone who went on kind of a forced pilgrimage because he lost everything that mattered to him. And he found his life. Not the same life, but a vibrant, abundant life again. Because he knew that divine love in the word of God was very near him. And all was indeed well with his soul. My brothers and sisters, Lent invites us to go on a quest to enter that time of pilgrimage and searching, to pray for God to reveal himself to us in new ways once again. The journey begins. There's so much to discover. Seek first the kingdom of God, because whether you've discovered it yet or not, the word is very near you.